that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is a modified Monday Madness, sort of. I'm Nathan Bear from Cleveland.com, along with Doug Lamer East. We do this all throughout the season. You guys know all the categories that we usually throw at you. Or if you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Those don't really apply during the offseason, but we've come up with kind of a new way to kick off each week. Topical. Maybe some debate here. I think probably some fierce debate, and maybe if we do it right in the third segment that we've got coming at you. But first up, we're going to do something we call the big picture, which is where we talk about something that's going on in national college football and the Big Ten might tie into Ohio State, might not. In this case, I think it does, because I think it's a good place to start this conversation. And it is with what's going on at Michigan, where Jim Harbaugh returned this past week, as we talked about on the podcast, decided he is staying at Michigan, not just for 2022, but says he's not pursuing any more NFL jobs. So he'll be there as long as they'll have him. We'll see how long that turns out to be. But he had already lost his defensive coordinator and Mike McDonald, who had gone back to the Baltimore Ravens to be their defensive coordinator. And over the weekend, he lost his offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, who in a much different tone left to become the offensive coordinator at Miami, not the Miami Dolphins, the Miami Hurricanes, a very lateral move at best, I would say. And considering where Michigan was last year and where Miami's been for at least the last few years, um, probably less than a lateral move, although Mario Cristobal, they just hired from Oregon. He's getting things started. So I guess, Doug, first of all, just your initial reaction when you saw Josh Gaddis going to Miami and we'll get into, I think, the debate in the comparison between what's happening at Michigan right now and what's happened at Ohio State maybe over the past year or few months. But just your initial thoughts when you saw Josh Gaddis leaving to go to Miami and especially when you see the comments that are attributed to him coming out after that, talking about, how unappreciated he felt at Michigan. And that's kind of why he's leaving. Yeah. It's a reminder, you know, I think we had talked about what fallout there might be from Jim Harbaugh's dalliance with the NFL. And we talked a lot about like recruiting, right? Like what would it do to the players in the program and recruits, but it feels like that uncertainty for a month or two. I mean, it's basically, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been this whole off season that people have been wondering about Jim Harbaugh's future it just allowed the opportunity for the uncertainty to fester. And then everybody starts looking over their shoulder and everybody starts trying to assess their place in the landscape that you maybe wouldn't have even been, been thinking that way. If the uncertainty hadn't been created by Jim Harbaugh, maybe leaving. And then for a while, it felt like probably leaving Michigan. And I think Josh Gaddis was in an interesting spot. Listen, we what do we know? But like you talk to people, you hear what people around Michigan or people who cover Michigan are thinking. It felt like sometimes people thought, listen, if Harbaugh goes, maybe Josh Gaddis is going to be the next head coach of Michigan. As we had sort of discussed, even could he be a one year coach and see how it goes? But then sometimes you'd hear like, actually, the guy the guy on staff that they actually really like is Mike Hart, the former Michigan running back who's pretty new to the Michigan staff is certainly not a coordinator. And would somehow he make the leap, make a Pat Fitzgerald, right? Kind of make a Marcus Freeman kind of leap of like, hey, we got a young guy in the building that we think has the juice. We can't miss this opportunity. He's the guy. And I'm sure, you know, if, if people are thinking that, Josh Gaddis is hearing that as well. And so I think Josh Gaddis went from, I won the assistant coach award, which is whatever. 
I mean, it's not nothing, but it's it's not actually like, oh, you were the best assistant. Like you won the award this year. There's 25 great assistants in college football. He did a really good job. We said that all year. Michigan felt really well coached on both sides of the ball. So a lot of credit to Josh Gaddis. But I think it was just that uncertainty. He was like, well, I might be the head coach. Well, I might even get passed over to be the head coach. Well, it doesn't matter because the head coach is back. Why did they leave me hanging? Well, shouldn't I be making more money? And the text you mentioned, it was reportedly that he sent this out to players and it sort of expressed like a lack of appreciation from the Michigan administration, which was created by the uncertainty. And if everybody, if Jim Harbaugh just been like, I'm just, I'm doing my thing. We're all doing our thing. I don't even know if he would have started thinking that way. So I think if Jim Harbaugh doesn't look at other jobs, Josh Gaddis is probably still at Michigan, right? Don't, don't we probably think that? I was going to ask you what your read on this situation was, because I think you always have good insight to this, um, or at least a, a, an interesting guess as to what might be the, the impetus of some of these decisions. Like, do you think Josh Gaddis, as of Wednesday afternoon, thought he was going to be the next head coach at Michigan? And that's yes. what led to all this. I bet. I bet, well, I bet you he, I thought he maybe, I bet you he thought Harbaugh was gone. And I bet you he thought there's a 50% chance that I'm the head coach at Michigan. And there's a 50% chance that I'm going to say, you guys can cram it because you passed me over for somebody else. I'm out and you'll regret this for the next 10 years. But that it wasn't like, I think like he probably reached the point where the status quo, which is him being Jim Harbaugh's offensive coordinator didn't feel very likely. So then when you are presented with the status quo, it's like, I've already mentally moved on. I was, and I love, oh, Nathan, do you do this? I love the preemptive fight in your head. That's how I get through life. It's like, oh, here comes somebody. Oh, I'm at the grocery store. This person's coming over here. I'm not sure if they see me. If they hit my cart with their cart, here's what I'm going to say when they hit it. And then the person like looks up and is like, oh, sorry, I didn't see it. And it's like, oh, shoot, the preemptive yeah. cart fight in my head was glorious. So if Josh Gaddis is in preemptive fight mode, he is simultaneously writing his introductory acceptance speech as the new head coach at Michigan and simultaneously in the, in the other Google Doc writing, how dare you? You will rue the day. And then Jim Harbaugh's back. It's like, oh, man, it's all cool. And he's like, but I have two Google Docs open. And then he's like, I got to use one of them. And I'm not going to be the head coach, so I better use the Rue the Day one, and I'm out. I think you probably just described the essence of the biggest difference between the two of us in that I, I don't think I go around all day preparing for the next fight that I'm going to have. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. I, I don't think it's right or wrong necessarily. I think it's just that's what makes you you, and that's what makes me me. And there's probably times when it is both a benefit and a detriment to both of us. And I never, I almost never have the fights because I'm not, I'm a scary person. I don't actually want to fight somebody, but I'm always ready to yell. I, I always want to have, I never want to be caught shorthanded with a, with a quip. If I feel like you have wronged me in a social societal setting, I want to be prepared. So I could see that. And I, and I do think it was hard for, for Gaddis that you're caught in between. And sometimes you don't want to remind people of the possibilities out there. You want everybody just sailing along. Hey man, we made the playoffs. Hey man, look at your trophy case. Best assistant. 
we go to lunch every day. We go get a sandwich. We go to the deli. We get the corned beef. Every We're all good. You don't want people realizing what else is out there. So, but I do say, I, I do want to talk about like how much blame Harbaugh might hold in this, right? That I think his actions created it, but how egregious were his actions, I think is something we need to talk about. But so I think everybody was like, you were surprised that it's like, hey, Josh Gaddis is going to my, the Miami Hurricanes. As you said, not the Miami Dolphins, which is sort of what, oh, he's going to the NFL. Okay. You were surprised. But then when you thought about it, were you still surprised or did it start to be like, well, you know, this kind of idea, the situation opened the door? I think there is a degree to which if you're Josh Gaddis and you're upwardly mobile, you probably did everything you could do at Michigan. And if you're trying to, because he was in the mix, you talked, Virginia was reportedly very deep in talks with him before they um, hired Tony Elliott. They, there were other jobs that you heard Josh Gaddis, not just the internal hire in Michigan. His name was coming up other places. So I think if you're upwardly mobile, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, this does make some sense because now if you go to Miami and help Cristobal kind of, hit the booster rocket early on what's going on there and get them, you know, goose them and get them more relevant again, very quickly. Um, then I think that helps you as you're trying to get that head coaching job that eluded you this time. I think he's, I don't think it's a huge problem for Michigan that he is leaving in the, in the long term because I think he was leaving soon. Anyway, I think it looks really bad for Michigan that he's leaving the way he's leaving. Um, Yes, because it's indicative of a bigger problem or a communication issue or something. Yes. And when they should be in rolling light right along mode, they should be in everybody pulling in the same direction. This is awesome. Let's build on this mode. Hey, if you leave for a better job, great. We want to be a place that provides opportunities for everybody, players and coaches. We're competing at the top of college football but we're all headed in the right direction. And to branch off like this, I, I guess the question is, I think it can be mitigated to some degree. Cause it, uh, I don't know. okay. So there are like five things. So one thing though, I do think, I think Jim Harbaugh in the end deserves credit and Josh Gaddis deserves credit for that partnership because Josh Gaddis was at Penn state. And then he left Penn state to be Alabama's receivers coach. For, which was a, the same job that Zach Smith was supposedly in the mix for that Nick Saban was looking for a receivers coach. This stuff all came out during the urban Zach Smith stuff. And where there were some text messages and Nick Saban said, no, well, I never did offer Zach Smith a job then, but like there was a job opening. It was like, Hey, go be Alabama's receivers coach. And like guys at big time schools were wanting to do that. So Josh got goes and does that. And then Harbaugh hires, this guy who's been a position coach at Penn state and Alabama, but never been a play caller, never been a coordinator as Michigan's offensive coordinator. And like, it was kind of out of the blue. It was a bold choice. And then like, it did particularly work to great effect for a couple of years. And then it hit. So those are like, that's what a good head coach is supposed to do. I think, I think you're supposed to be able to find people on the way up who have not yet done it necessarily or at least not done it at your level, you're either, you either wind up hiring somebody who's coordinated at a lower level, or you hire somebody who's been at a, 
of program that's of equal stature, but not been in the, that, that job. So I think it turns out to be a good move by Josh Gaddis and a good hire by Jim Harbaugh. And then it's not going to last forever because if a guy like that, you said he's upwardly mobile, he wants to be head coach. So I do think there's a lot of, a lot of credit on both sides, but I do think it's mitigated to some degree by how they replaced Josh Gaddis. And I do think in Sharon Moore, who was their tight ends coach at Michigan, got promoted to co-offensive coordinator and offensive line coach this year, by all accounts did a tremendous job. And then Matt Weiss, who became their quarterback's coach in the last year or two, I didn't realize this. He was another Ravens guy. It's nice when your brother's in the NFL and you can pluck guys from him. If those two guys end up calling the plays for Michigan this year, internal promotions of guys who were qualified, listen, when Ohio State tried to do it when Tom Herman left and they promoted Ed Warner from within, it didn't work. So we have to see how it goes. I don't know where I stand, Nathan, on how big of a loss Josh, Josh Gattis is. Because there's a perception loss. Hey, it's not as smooth as we think. And then there's the, is the offense not going to work as well idea, which as good as he was, I think it's possible that if they just go with Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss, they, they might be okay. Cause it's sort of still what Jim Harbaugh kind of wants to do. And Moore was the co-offensive coordinator this year. Yeah. And I think it would be different. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this. My read though, has never been that Josh Gaddis is like a visionary offensive mind that Michigan was doing things that he was like drawing up in dreams and then coming in and communicating. You know what I mean? Like I feel he did a good job, did a really good job. And, but that I, I think you're right. That if this, if the underlying structure is still there, this ground game that they won on last year, if, if JJ McCarthy takes the next step and becomes a, a big time quarterback, if Donovan Edwards does the things he hinted that he's going to be able to do. I, I mean, yes, the, the wrong coordinator can make that go awry as we saw at Ohio state a little bit, but I also think we're talking about the talent Michigan might have on the offensive side of the ball, a little bit different than we've been talking about the talent Ohio state has on the defensive side of the ball these last two years. And it's also one of those things that, and again, to your point, it's like, how much credit does Josh Gaddis get? How much of it was his idea? How much of it was, this is how Harbaugh wants to do it. It's collaborative. I do think Harbaugh handed over from the stuff you read more of the offense than he ever had before to Josh Gaddis this year in particular. I think that was maybe given Gaddis a little more freedom is part of what worked, but when he goes to Mario Cristobal, there's not going to be any questions about that. Like he's going to go run Josh Gaddis. I think is very much going to be in charge of that of calling the plays at Miami without question, without it being how much is Harbaugh or other guys involved, which is another thing that guys want to do. Like you want to go be your own man. You want to get, even though he won the award and he has it on his trophy case, it's like, you don't want anybody doubting like who's running the show here. So um, like I do, I just, I do think Harbaugh just deserves like a lot of credit for the bunch of hires. Like, even though, and as you mentioned, the other thing is like, as we talked about Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator left after a year, but like, it was a great hire. Oh, you know, I mean, like we, he, like he, he nailed a, bunch of hires last off season. And if he doesn't nail whatever it was, six or seven new assistants, if he doesn't get most of those as home runs, they probably don't make the playoff, but that's a, that's good leadership by him and good identification, identification of coaching talent, and then allowing those guys to do their job and succeed. We did a podcast last summer or last spring, whatever, when Michigan had all that staff turnover kind of breaking down like, Hey, do we think this is going to make them uh, better? Is this going to be a down the road? We were thinking about it like two, three years, right? Like what impact is this going to make on recruiting? What impact is this going to make on maybe the long-term direction of the offensive and defensive shortcomings that Michigan's been having? We were not talking about 
hey, is this going to put them in the playoff in 2022? This is going to end up, this is going to result in 42 to 27. So I, I agree with you. I think he gets a lot of credit. We, we, I know that it probably sounds to people sometimes like we, we try to sit on both sides of the fence here because we, you especially, but I agree that, that sometimes the average like position coach hire can be a little bit overrated, but like reconstructing a whole staff and having it work this quickly and this well is something he gets credit for, I think. Yeah. But then again, like, I don't, I don't think that we're expressing the idea that like Michigan is doomed because Josh Gattis left or that Michigan is doomed because Mike McDonald left because it's a great, there's a great job. They should be able to go hire good assistants. And Don Brown was good for a while before Mike McDonald. And then when Don Brown didn't work anymore, then they got somebody new and they took a, they took a, you know, they hired Josh Gaddis when he hadn't really done that before. And it took him a couple of years to grow into it, but it turned out to be a really good hire. So they should make another really good hire. You know, like I, I don't think it's the end of the world from a, an actual X's and O's game plan standpoint. I think they very much might be, you know, be okay. Even though Josh Gaddis and Mike McDonald were great, but you had mentioned the perception thing. What do you think is, what is the fallout, the tangible effect of like, it doesn't, do you think Michigan looks like it's in disarray right now? that they lost both their coordinators after a playoff appearance and their head coach was dorking around with the NFL for two months. I really don't think the McDonald hire to me signals anything. It signals to me that this guy was an up and comer. The Ravens already knew it. He went to Michigan, had an awesome year. The Ravens needed defensive coordinator. They're like, why wouldn't we just bring back this guy that we know is great and could be here for the next 15 years or until he gets a head coach opportunity, maybe, or something like that to me, it doesn't signal anything to me. It's, it's Jeff Halfley ish. Like he, they, People knew he had something going. He came here, had one great year as a coordinator, and then left for a step up. I don't I don't see that as a big thing. But the other two things looks the optics of it are bad because they happened right on top of each other. You had Harbaugh with one foot and then like the second foot like all the way up to the toes out the door, ready to take an NFL job if it had been offered to him by all accounts, uh, as we've said more than once already on this podcast. And then, and then uh, Gaddis leaves and like torches the place a little bit on his way out the door. I think those two things back to back look really bad. But I also think this is this is all post signing day. This is all, um, you know, you, you've got still a bit of a gap now between now and the start of spring. Especially if you think you've got people internally to fill those jobs, it doesn't seem like a big fire to have to put out. Some of it, because the only thing I guess that hangs over it is at the end of the day, Harbaugh is still your head coach. So if you think he's just weird and that that weirdness has some uh, drawback to it at all times, then that presence is still there. But as far as like having to replace this coordinator, potentially setting them back, or I, I think maybe what you're getting, like if, if there's disarray, like what are the consequences to the disarray? Right. But as long as they can like put this, you know, handle this situation, make a hire at, at coordinator that gets people talking about that hire and then move on with recruiting. This could be a very temporary thing. So the thing that I think is, uh, is important to some degree in this discussion is kind of what's come up with the Brian Flores suit against the NFL. Uh, As people know, Brian Flores, the fired coach, the Miami dolphins basically saying like, there's this Rooney rule in the NFL that you have to interview a minority candidate, but it's a sham. These teams already know what they want to do before the minority candidate might even have the interview. 
that it's like uh, we're, they're checking a box, right? Because they have to by rule, but they are not actually being open-minded and giving full consideration to a wide range of candidates. And then you fall back on an old boys network. And then you look at just, you look in college football, you look in the NFL, the percentage of players that are black and the percentage of coaches that are black. And it's like, well, why is there such a great disparity there? It's, it's something inherent in the system that is at least partly uh, the situation there. So as a result, and it happens all the time in college football, like the college football interview process, it's like when there's a big job open, it is not like schools like, here's the eight people we brought in for interviews. It's all backroom booster. All of a sudden there's a new conference and you have a head coach. So that the NFL now in this process, if you, if they, if they should follow and they should, if they should give fair consideration and be open-minded to the process and give and do all the interviews and then give fair consideration and then make a decision, that's a public drawn out process. That is not back room and that is not quick. But if that's the situation, then how can any head coach interview for an NFL job without putting his current program in limbo for some period of time? Especially if you are generally interested in the NFL, there were nine NFL jobs this offseason. Jim Harbaugh wasn't only interested in the Vikings. He'd been linked to the Raiders. They might have danced with the Dolphins. But that's how it should be. It shouldn't be fast and it shouldn't be private. It should be thorough and public. And this is the result. To me, the idea that, and again, as we talked about this before, it seems like there's a disconnect. Jim Harbaugh maybe thought, I got this in the bag. I'm going to Minnesota almost as a formality. And they were like, no, you're one of four candidates and you're coming here as part of the process. So then he's got to come back and the perception looks bad for Michigan. But I think Nathan, the perception looks good for the Vikings. They weren't just handing out this job because their oh, yeah. new GM worked with Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco a couple of years ago. Who cares? They interviewed people and they end up going with, they're going to go with Kevin O'Connell from the Rams. But like, I don't, know that I how much can you blame Jim Harbaugh for the NFL maybe actually following a process that they're currently being sued for not following in so many other cases where it's like well this we're gonna bring these six people in but Jim it's yours man right that's that sucks so if and when Ryan Day wants to be an NFL head coach like if they're doing it right he should probably have to go through a process that is not that takes longer than two days Right. So is Ohio State someday, if you have a head coach who aspires to this, is this what you're facing? I think yeah. maybe. And is that going to be Ryan Day's fault if that ever happens? And how much is this really Jim Harbaugh's fault? Yeah, I think that's a good point. For people who aren't familiar, it's it is a 180 degrees different than the way college searches play out. Like NFL teams are going on, will tweet out, we just completed interviews today with uh, Doug Peterson and Byron Leftwich for our open head coaching position. And you're like, what? Like it's 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 very transparent. Now I will say I don't know how much of that is connected because I don't remember seeing a lot of tweets that we just interviewed some college guy. It, it, that those tweets tend to I think just be the NFL guys who they're interviewing. But yeah, but no, I, and I don't, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert. Exactly I think that's correct. How all that goes. But but because of that dynamic, I, I tweeted out sometime last week, texted, I'm sorry, 614-350-3315, texted to our folks, 
kind of a breakdown of where I thought the Ryan Day rumors and why they were really kind of done because his name had not come up in any of these things. And he was in a position where his name needed to be out there because I think he wanted the implication of getting an NFL job right now more than the actual offer to get an NFL job. But someday I think you're right that when, when, when his time comes, it is going to be very public and it's, it's potentially going to come at an inconvenient time. And that's something people should just be ready for. And I, I, so with Harbaugh, I think it was, it's a thing where, um, because it had all happened to some extent a year earlier, you heard a lot of those rumors out there. You assume that they, there was no, um, that there was at least some fire to the smoke, at least in Harbaugh's interest. So I think people were starting to wonder, well, in, in a way that it's never been with Ryan day. So people, if you're at Michigan, I think you're starting to wonder, is this going to be a, a thing that we're doing every single year? Like we're going to have to do this every single year, hear about these rumors every single year and have him interviewing every single year. Cause th- I think that is where it would become a problem is if every single year, you know, so far for Ryan day, it's come up like a couple years ago, there was some rumor that like Washington, the then Washington football team, whatever had like was interested in him. And it was like the biggest dumpster fire in the NFL. And he was like, no, and then well, the stuff every that happened, rumor is like, oh, our, our team has a quarterback who played at Ohio State. That's hire Ryan Day. It's like, what? That's true. That's true because the same thing happened with the Bears. But there was a yeah. different angle with the Bears stuff too, that that brought it up. But I'm just saying that, like, so far every time it's come up with Ryan Day, there, I don't think the interest has gone that far down. It doesn't seem to have. But I think you're right. At some point it will, and Ohio State is going to be on this side, on the on this other side of the thing. And I, it, that's what's been interesting to watch these last few weeks because. Anytime something is going a little bit haywire for either of the programs, the fan bases, there's a lot of schadenfreude there about like, oh, you had to go replace your whole staff, Ryan Day. Oh, Jim Harbaugh, you got to go hire your, your you got to go replace your star coordinators. And it's like, I, I don't know which of these two things, which of the two scenarios looks worse for the head coaches. Because in some ways, like Ryan Day had to go hire a bunch of guys other than Matt Barnes leaving to go be the defensive coordinator of Memphis, had to go hire a bunch of guys who he had to get rid of because they didn't work out. Right. Yeah. Well, and Which Jim Harbaugh, different than what's yeah. happening at Michigan. Well, Jim Harbaugh the year before had to Did hire a bunch that, of guys because yeah. they didn't and work out and then it worked and then they went to the playoff and then they had success. And now those guys left and now he has to hire guys because they felt disrespected or just because they got better jobs. But I mean, it's, it is. It's one of those things. How do you want to lose guys? You're going to lose assistants. That's why, I mean, my main thing is like, you're going to lose assistance, but this is also goes back to the thing that Gene Smith really likes about hiring a guy like Ryan Day, and which is whenever we enter the discussion of like, ah, should Ryan Day give up the play calling? If the head coach calls the plays, you can never lose your offensive coordinator. So you only really have one coordinator that you can ever lose. And I do think you can view that as an advantage as much as at times I've said, man, you got to give up play calling. You can't just be the head coach of half the team. That is the benefit of it. That it's not just running my style of offense. It's like the guy, like there's not an equivalent. Ohio state does not have a Josh Gaddis. What Harbaugh Jeff just lost Ryan day. Couldn't lose. Even though at times we've said, should he have a Josh Gaddis? And then this is the moment was like this. And I think Gene Smith, when he hired Ryan day in this modern day thing with like the, he really looked at Lincoln Riley and said, man, if you have a big time X and O's offensive guy, who you also think can lead, that's your guy. 
and then you want him calling the plays and that's how you do it. And then you're never at risk for this stuff. And you know what? You look at Sean McVay in the NFL. You look at Kyle Shanahan in the NFL, guys like that. They have offensive coordinators, but like it's their deal. Like it's their, it's their deal still. And so no matter what, if the, if Ohio state lost Kevin Wilson, they'd lose their quote offensive coordinator, but like nobody would, there'd be no gnashing of teeth. It'd be like, great. You've done a good job here. Kevin Wilson, good luck, but it's still Ryan day show. And that is the benefit here. As much as I think it was good for Jim Harbaugh to let go of the reins with that offense. And we saw the effect of it. Then you set yourself up for this. So Ohio state couldn't be in this exact situation, at least not right now. The one thing that is, I guess, maybe a little bit better about the way things played out for Ohio State could be the timing. They got to be out in front on their defensive coordinator search. They got to be at the front of the line to go get Jim Knowles. I don't believe Michigan's made a defensive coordinator hire as of this morning to replace McDonald. So I don't know where they're going in that direction. But the, but at the same time, like it's if, if there's somebody out there for whom it would be a step up to go to Michigan, you can still get that guy. Yeah. I mean, it's too bad. I mean, I wish, I wish there was like a window. I wish, I wish there was like a month long hiring window when this is when just like, I mean, and again, it's like, well, that wouldn't be fair. Whatever's like, well, it's what the NBA does in free agency and you can tamper before that. But if you get caught, tam- if you tamper too much, you're going to get caught. And then there's a time period for player movement. So the idea that there would be a time period for head coach and coordinator movement, like I understand capitalism, actually don't understand capitalism, but like, I get it, whatever, the free market. But I also think it's not terrible to say, like, you can't, like, we're not going to do this. We're not going to, because, yeah, well, if Michigan wants the Minnesota defensive coordinator, the Kentucky defensive coordinator, or the, the Washington State defensive coordinator, they can go get them. But then those schools have to be like, what? Are you kidding me? Foot, spring football starts in a month. Now we have to hire a new defensive coordinator. Some of it stinks, man, but. I guess we're never going to have that, but no. I, I do think it's it's not fair sometimes to a v- variety of parties. Yeah, the, the wrinkle there is the NBA is at the top of the food chain and the college programs are not. And sometimes, so an NFL team after the playoffs, after the Super Bowl could make some sort of a decision that takes a college guy away. And now those college teams, so it starts yes. ramifications like it's it's in the NBA. You can say, well, we're the lions. We're at the top of the food chain so we can make up rules for how we're going to um, parcel out these pieces of elk or whatever. But at the college level, you're more like whatever's the next step down from a lion. You're like the wolves, but there is something bigger above you that could be coming down and taking whatever um, that, that analogy was getting a little loose in the corner. on me. <laughs> so let's wrap up unless you have anything else to say on this topic. No, no, no. I, in the well, I want to. In the end, Michigan is a little unsteady right now for a team that just had its best season in twenty years. How much of that, on a scale of like one to ten, how much of that is Jim Harbaugh's fault? It's Jim Harbaugh's doing. I think. I don't think we would dispute that. The Jim Harbaugh looking created this to some degree mcdonald was going to go anyway but jim harbaugh looking certainly helped create the gaddis thing but how much is he to blame for that like on a scale of one to ten of one like hey man stuff happens you're allowed to look for jobs and ten is like what are you doing you just torpedo all of your momentum you selfish ding dong have some uh, awareness of what's going on around you well i like a six 
Yeah, I mean, I might even be more towards like a four because it's like, well, if you're going to like the idea of like him going out on top wasn't crazy, right? And everyone, I mean, the I mean, he came from the NFL. You can't be stunned that he might want to go back to the NFL. And it's not like it happened after two years. I mean, he's he's been here for a while. So um, I think they caught they got caught a little bit in circumstance. And I do think it feels like, again, you read the stuff. I think Josh Gaddis is a little mad because I think maybe Ward Manuel sort of subscribes like to my theory of like, well, you're you're very important. But I mean, what, I mean, what are we going to do? Pay a million and a half dollars like, you know. You're the offensive coordinator for an offensive head coach. Like you did a good job for sure. We appreciate you, but we're not, we're not going to double your salary, man. And if that makes you mad, then go to Miami, you know, which is again, if that's, if Josh, if part of what happened is that Josh Gaddis like is mad because he didn't get a huge raise. And like, then like, I'm sort of in, I'm sort of on Ward Manuel's side of that. Like we have a limit to what we pay our assistants. I say six because there is some heavy lifting that has to happen in Michigan. You're losing Hutchinson. You're losing a Jabo. You're, you're losing significant pieces from the defense. And um, the offense does need some questions answered. So, like, does it make it harder for Michigan to bounce back quickly and stay in contention for the Big Ten when to lose someone like Josh Gaddis? Probably. Do I think – so I guess I would say six. But – in the long run, because I think Gaddis was probably leaving in the next cycle anyway, mm-hmm. I don't know that it's it's catastrophic in the long run. And especially if, if – because for better or for worse, again, no matter what you think of Harbaugh, now he looks like he is there as long as Michigan wants him, which after a year like this you would think is probably another couple, three years he's bought himself at the very least. So, And I do think, again, the loss of a person is always – how great that loss is is always determined for the most part by how good the replacement is. Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss are two coaches who are not yet 40, who have been at Michigan for a couple of years, who have been developed at Michigan, who came in at Michigan, not as huge names. And it seems like people now think highly of them and they are highly qualified and have done a very good job. So I do think the, the, the credit to Harbaugh here potentially is that it's possible that they've got the next dudes right in the pipeline because they already made some, some previous good hires, just like if Ohio state needed it and, and Tony Alford and Brian Hartline had to step up into something, you'd be like, okay, well, these guys are here like ready for this. This would not be a panic mode. If, if Ryan day said, you know, aliens abducted the part of my, just the part of my brain that calls plays, I can't do it. Would we be like, well, that's it. Ohio state's going to go eight and four. We'd be like, well, Kevin Wilson, Brian Hartline, Tony Alford, like, let's go. I think, I think they've got people who can do this, which would be a credit to Ryan Day. And so I do think it's uh, possibly a credit to Harbaugh that they'll be okay. And it's why Ryan Day didn't go out and find his next Jeff Halfley to be the defensive coordinator this year, not in terms of personal relationships even, but just in terms of where that person is in their career. I think he wanted a long-term solution, and that's what Jim Knowles is supposed to be. Right. And major props, if he would have – Nailed it the way Harbaugh nailed Mike McDonald, but Jim Knowles certainly feels like, feels like, as we've said a million times, about as good of a hire as they could have made. So that's the big picture after the break. We're going to come back and talk about the Buckeye picture here on Buckeye Talk. So what's sort of the big story in Ohio State sports or Ohio State football that's on your mind this week, Doug? So I saw someone else. Uh, this is I saw someone else talking about this and stole the idea. Buckeye talk. Um, 
I, I know people had sort of been referencing, I mean, duh, but the idea of what, what um, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are doing for the Cincinnati Bengals right now. Hey, man, isn't it cool when you have a quarterback and a number one receiver who were teammates in college? Um, Tua Tonga-Bailoa and Jalen Waddell with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith with the Philadelphia Eagles, right? That idea of it. And I was like, you know, I just, I actually, that's exactly it. That's what Justin Fields needs. And man, the idea of the Chicago Bears drafting Chris Olave feels like so right to me that Garrett Wilson is in contention to be the number one receiver drafted just by what draft analysts are saying. It feels like it's, it's, most mock drafts have Garrett Wilson as a number one guy picks somewhere between like eight to 15, not a, it's not a unanimous uh, decision, but he's, I think the most likely option there. And then Chris Olave, you know, I think Chris Olave feels like right from what draft experts are saying is going to go in the first round, but I think he's behind maybe Drake London from USC, maybe behind Traylon Burks from, Arkansas, maybe behind Jamison Williams. Uh, but then the thing is the Bears don't have a first round pick. <laughs> yep. So That's... that they traded last year to move up to get Justin Fields. And they also then were terrible. So if they had the first round pick, it would be at seven. And Chris Olave would they would not pick Chris Olave seven there. So I was I just, you know, I like looking at mock drafts this time of year. I think the Bears pick 39 is their first pick then, because like the seventh pick in the second round. And I saw something that had David Bell from Purdue to the bears. And I do think the idea of a receiver there is really interesting for Justin Fields. And there is this big group of receivers. Um, you know, we all know, but it's Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and David Bell from Purdue and Jahan Dotson from Penn state are all in there. And so I don't think Chris Olave should fall out of the first round. I am not rooting for Chris Olave to fall out of the first round. I hope he, for his sake is a first round pick. I think his talent and skill and work ethic is worthy of being a first round pick, but if it, it doesn't take much sometimes, Nathan, right. And if just a couple teams, oh man, we're between a receiver and a tackle. Oh, we got to take a tackle. Our oh, receiver, receiver and a corner. We got to take a corner. Uh, we like these two receivers. I oh, will lean to this other guy instead of Olave. If somehow Olave would get to the bears at 39, I, I just love that pairing because I think as we talked about and Steven point out, you know, like, this year, C.J. Stroud wasn't as much of a deep ball kind of guy as Justin Fields was. That is where Olave at times really thrived. Of course, Olave had a great year this year. But I do think Fields and Olave, their strengths play off of each other. And so in a world where we've seen the success of college teammates in the passing game translating to the NFL, um, I've just been thinking about Justin Fields and Chris Olave. And if somehow, some way, it could happen. And I think if it did, I think it'd be really good for both of them, but it probably won't. Cause I think Olave is a first rounder unless the bears try to, you know, try to move up from 39 to 26 by throwing in a second rounder next year, or their third rounder this year or something to move up and make a move. Cause I do think they need, and you're the bears fan. I mean, they need a weapon. I mean, I think the oh, idea yeah. of them trying to get like a, a receiver with whatever their first pick is makes a lot of sense. And so just like they, saw fields fall last year and they jumped for man if they feel if they would see olave sliding maybe they could jump for him yeah no they definitely need help and it's been sort of my 
underlying concerns about the, the, the situation Justin Fields is in. I, I as, as someone who follows the Bears, I, I thought that was a good fit. I was intrigued that, that they traded up and got him. But the cost that they had to pay to get him, um, it really it, it sort of hamstrings them as far as getting him now the, the talents that he would need. To, to start doing something early on. I don't know who's out there in free agency that they could potentially go get. Maybe that's a, a thing. Um, I, so it's interesting because my father-in-law was in town this past weekend. He lives in Chicago suburbs and is a, a bears fan. And we were talking about like the field situation and, and what the bears could do. And I thought there was one other interesting wrinkle that had been in my mind which is if you're trading up to late in the first round or if you're hoping somebody follows into the falls into the early second round there's actually another former Ohio State receiver that is an interesting possibility there a guy who had one year of success so maybe teams value him a little bit differently than somebody like Wilson or Olave where it's a little more proven is coming off a significant injury he just suffered that'll cause his draft stock to fall what if the bears are in position to take Jameson Williams yeah, no, I mean, it's like then all the all the Bears writers can do stories about, well, Justin Fields did nev- never threw to him the one year they were together, but maybe that has changed now, but you would think the skill set um, would, they would benefit each other that way. So I do think, uh, I, I mean, we're going to do a lot of draft talk, um, but I, I trying to figure out where these guys go, because the thing about Olave is – you know, you start as everybody, you know, start sliding to the end of the first round and you start sliding into playoff teams. And it's like Garrett Wilson, you know, if he doesn't get to the Browns at 13, I, th- I think Garrett Wilson, I think at 10 is uh, a popular choice. Um, is that 10 either the Jets or the Giants? But it's like neither of those spots are particularly, um, you know, great places uh, to be right now. A lot of uncertainty there but it's like Olave certainly has the, the possibility of winding up uh, 10 is the jets. That's that's you'll, you'll see Wilson to the jets. A lot of 10 Olave has a chance to wind up in like a really good situation. If he's projected more in the twenties, this NFL mock draft database, when you look at their consensus, big board, and you look at the receivers, uh, Garrett Wilson is nine. Uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas is 19. Jamison Williams is 21. Drake London from USC is 22. And Olave is 23. So those are your top five receivers. And then you get to Jahan Dotson from Penn State is at 32. And those are like the top six guys. And then you're talking about David Bell probably as a second rounder. So Probably not Olave in the second round, but man, Olave, Olave could get like right in a spot where like a really good team just needs like a little offensive jolt. And it, it could, it could be really good for him because he's ready, right? There's no, I don't, there, he's got to put on a little weight probably, but he's such a precise route runner. I think he's so smart. He's so, I think he's good playing balls in the air. He's got the speed. Um, I, I'm really curious to see, I think, you know, we've had to various debates on this pod or discussions on this podcast, who's the higher draft pick probably. And I think we, from the very beginning, all thought 
Garrett Wilson is probably a slightly better NFL prospect. And it seems like the draft analysis right now is, is that's bearing out. But the result is maybe Olave is going to go to a place where he'll win quicker than Garrett Wilson does. Yeah, I think with Wilson that there may be uh, – nobody's throwing that caveat on there of like, well, he's a little small or he doesn't quite have that upper body strength or whatever, which are the things that Chris Olave came back as a senior to work on, and I think he did. But I think that is something he's still going to have to make up for with his other talents when he gets to – the NFL. I, I think you're right. Um, I think the bears could do a lot worse than David Bell though. If that, if that's who falls to them in the second round, I, that's not about, I know he didn't do anything against Ohio state, but you look at his career. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a solid second round pick, I think. Yeah. Um, and he'll, I mean, actually Purdue had pretty good quarterback play this year. So I'm going to say, you know, he's hasn't had a guy like Justin Fields. Sort of, that's the whole point of the NFL, but I just think I, I just, they've got to get Justin Fields some weapons, man. They've got a, you know, he, he, I think has a lot of, we all, he has a lot of room to grow, but if they, if they don't get him some guys to throw to that's going to stagnate him a little bit. And that would be great. So I think feels like they're going to get, they're going to go for receiver. Just like it feels like the Browns are going to go for receiver, which is why Garrett Wilson of the Browns at 13 remains a possibility that I think is very real. So actually that James Williams thing was one thing I wanted to talk about this week. And then also I think Ohio state's going to announce the new, uh, turf design for Ohio stadium. Um, just from a fan's perspective, how fun do you think this is? Is this a place that was like in need it? Did you feel like Ohio state kind of, or Ohio stadium sort of needs a jolt of, of something new to enhance that experience at all? Fans care how stuff looks. Yeah. Which makes sense. Cause you're seeing it like what you're, it's- it's one of the toughest things for me to do because I don't care how things look. It's like to always like have to be constantly reminding myself like, oh no, like fans care about like what, what uniform they're wearing today, all that stuff. Yeah. So the idea, I mean, Ohio State put out a tweet that had like whatever was 20 or 40 different options for the field. And it's like, man, can't you just, can you just change it every week? Could you do one of these options every new game for the next five years? Right. Let's let's do that. And, and everybody, can you imagine how excited people would be if every Saturday it's like, what's the end zone going to look like today? Is there going to be a Buckeye leaf at the 50 yard line or not? Is it going to be is it going to be gray on Scarlet or Scarlet on gray? Or is it going to be checks or stripes or, or I mean, it would be people. People would love that stuff. So I think it is. Um, I mean, like there's no harm to it. Like, what's the harm? And they have the money. What is it? Spray paint? What do you guys, I mean, what do you, what do you even do? I don't know. Do, do they hang, I don't want to make more work for the facilities people, but why wouldn't you have a new design on the field every week? Because I think, you know, they're not, it's not Oregon. They're not, there's not going to be a teal field. There's not going to be a purple field. And I don't, they're not going to use some crazy font that makes it look like a Pac-Man game or something. Right. I mean, it's going to be, I think you, there's enough history to the look of Ohio state that you can play off. And they're so good, like with the videos and the digital part of it, I think to take some of their um, expertise with how things look and how they do things in video and in the digital realm and the, and the graphics they make for, for social media, for recruits to bring that kind of thinking to the very tangible field in Ohio stadium, I think makes a lot of sense. I think it is a great combination of history and the modern and the new and the old. And 
I don't think anybody would think it was desecrating, right? The field at Ohio Stadium to have like a cool logo on it. I don't think they would think it's desecrating, but I do think it's interesting you invoked Oregon there because I think those things were happening at a time, and I guess Oregon still does those to some extent, but like that was sort of part of how Oregon got itself into the national consciousness was all the like uniform changes and the bright colors. And I, I, I hate those uniforms, the stupid like feathers on the shoulder pads and the, the Sharpie yellow accent. Like, I just, I, I don't think those uniforms are good. That's not my, um, that's not my preferred style, but I've got friends, close friends who are huge Oregon fans who, who love those things. So I think that was part of how they had to push themselves into the national consciousness at the same time that they were getting really good at playing football. And at, at Ohio state, I think, some they there does seem to be some they play things a little bit more understated because the football should always lead the the identity and it it does it still does like i don't think there's any chance or any real danger of that falling off anytime soon so that might be part of why ohio state maybe intentionally underplays some of those things doesn't maybe go overboard on on some of the those kinds of bells and whistles i think there's also a point too where like there are finite probably not monetary resources, but certainly time resources that you can put into your field in a given week. And you probably, the, the bulk of that time has to be repairing it and getting it in the correct shape it needs to be in to play the next game, which is always going to be more important than what's painted on it. Uh, I'm looking at the graphic that Ohio State sent out. There's 48 different designs suggested by fans. The tweet says, Coming soon, the new Ohio Stadium field turf design inspired by you, the best fans in the land. So of the 48, and I know you looked at it, Nathan. I don't know if you have it right in front of you. Do you want to guess how many are not primarily green? That it's oh you know, like it's a green. It's, it's a yeah, it's there are there are two, there's one scarlet, one gray, and one scarlet and gray stripe. And the other 45 are green with a variety of block O's or Buckeye leaves or the outline of the state of Ohio or Brutus Buckeye or some other insignia. So to me, again, and I actually think, and I at times have been like, why are they wearing black uniforms? Why are they wearing white uniforms? They're scarlet and gray. Why are they wearing not? I did. They wore white uniforms against Michigan. It's like, I just kept thinking 50 years from now, they're going to have pictures of the Ohio state Michigan game and Ohio state's in white. Like, what are we doing? Why is that? Doesn't make sense to me, but I think the field is a better place to experiment than the jerseys. And I know people care a lot about if there's a stripe on the shoulder or not. And again, it matters how they look, but I think it matters how the players look matters more than what the field looks like. So I do think this is a cool place to experiment. And the idea that people would be excited that like when everybody shows up for the game, it's like, what does it look like? And I don't think they should have a scarlet field the way Boise has blue turf. I don't think they should have scarlet turf. No, but if they did it once for like one game, people would go bonkers Yeah, right for one game. If it was like, they had scarlet and red and gray stripes for the field. And then the rest of the time it's, it's a green field and it's just the logos in at the 50 is different and the end zones are different. I, I think it's, I, I and again, we're not, we have no indication they're going to change it week to week. I'm just saying, I like experimenting here. I, I don't think there's much to lose. And I think there's, there's something cool 
to gain. And again, I like to think about things they should sell to kids, <laughs> but like some kind of collection of like, I, if you were a kid and you could get posters of the 48 different designs that they sent out here, right. Or mini posters or a deck of trading cards and, you know, or whatever. I just, um, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. And I, and I, I'll be very curious to see what they come up with. Yeah, I mean, looking over these options, I mean, by the way, if you get the texts or if you just follow us online, I would say this afternoon, I would expect to hear something about this later this afternoon. Monday um, afternoon, they're going to announce Monday afternoon. Think? Monday afternoon, oh. I think we're supposed to hear um, about what's going on with this. But I'm looking over these options and like it's going to be predominantly green. And I I would be very surprised if it is a lot more comp it's going to involve i think the block o in some way there's a really fun one on here among the options where like um where brutus is like walking out of the block o like out of the middle of the block o i think that one's pretty fun i think but i just don't know how far into fun they're going to delve there's another one where it's like brutus a big painting of brutus on the field waving a ohio state flag i, I just don't know that they're going to go that far with it it might be something that's a little bit more classic yeah but i'd be okay i mean i like the ones where they have the outline of the state of ohio and then the block o within that at the 50 i think is cool yeah but i'm i'm cool with anything here like i'm not i i, I i'll be curious to see if we get feedback from our tech subscribers or anybody else if there's feedback from fans that they do think it's like desecrating like this what are you doing this is this is a football field it should be green i mean it's already fake so like once you're playing on fake stuff and you're no longer playing on grass, then do people care that much what you spray paint it? I do think like, don't do it for the Michigan game, but if they came out one night and it was like a scarlet out against Penn state, like on, on for Halloween and you came out and the field was scarlet, I like you didn't tell anybody. And then the field right. was scarlet. I think that would be, I think that would be cool. Yeah. So anyway. I agree. So, like I said, if it's not Monday, it'll be very soon. Pay attention to cleveland.com slash OSU, and we will give you the details. Coming back after the break with uh, less football talk, taking it off in a, a more nonsensical direction, you're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, so we're calling this segment Watch You Watching, Watch You Eating. This is something Doug has been it's been kind of bouncing around in his head. What was sort of the impetus of this, Doug? Uh, watching stuff and eating stuff. I, <laughs> I I think this could be like I just it's like what you talk about. It's like I don't know. What'd you watch? I had this thing that tasted good. Then I watched a show. So I think what you want and what you're eating. That's in my list of. Uh, I sent something to the bosses a couple months ago. It's like here's 15 other podcast ideas, both in and out of sports that I have for us to do at Cleveland.com and what you're watching, what you're eating was one of those. So if we can experiment here with the segment, um, it allows, I hope it is informative and, and maybe, I mean, it's a, you know, it should be fun to talk about, but also maybe people are like, Oh, maybe I'll watch that. Or, Oh, maybe I'll eat that. We're here to help. Do you listen to any other podcasts right now that, that inspired this? Because I will say this, cause I listen to a lot of like, um, I wouldn't say a lot. I listen to a few of like, movie slash tv related things and then i used to listen to when i first listened to podcasts there was a podcast called mike and tom eat snacks are you familiar with that podcast I'm not it was not. it was 
you would actually, I think, like this podcast a lot. It was Michael Ian Black, a comedian and mm. actor, and Tom Cavanaugh, who people may remember was on a show, Ed. They were actually on that together. What am I, heart of Ed? What are you talking about? I, I figured you like might appointment be. appointment viewing. Ed, yeah. Ed was a big who, show. It's like a guy who owns a bowling alley. It's a white guy who owns a bowling alley and pines for his high school sweetheart. My wife and I never missed yeah. an episode of Ed. And it was on right before the West Wing. For I saw Ed at the NBA All-Star game one time. <laughs> and I was I couldn't think of what his name was. And like I was walking courtside and he walked past me and I said, hey, Ed. And he like looked at me and it's like, I know your name's not Ed, but I don't know what your name is. He so gets I said, Hello to Ed. Sure. Yeah, I, not anymore. Is, Nobody cares anymore. Well, no, he hasn't he been, has on, not been on a TV show in a long time. His name's Tom Cavanaugh. He was on a show, Ed. I used to work with a guy named Ed Cavanaugh. And it, at the time that that show was on, it was very confusing to me. But anyway, Mike and Tom eat snacks and each week they would it would be a whole episode about one snack that they were eating. And then they would like have a rating thing at the end, but it was a lot of them just also goofing off. So I think it was one, I think it's probably still out there archived. If you want to find it if other people want to find it, but Doug, what you watching? Watch, so watch, uh, watching. <laughs> it should roll off the tongue a little bit more than that. Yeah, maybe. We're, what is it? Title in progress. Watching. Uh, are we going to do the two watchings first and then the two Eaton's? Or we yeah, gonna let's, do... let's break them up. Unless unless what you're eating is integral to what you're watching or vice it versa. It is not. It okay. is not. At times it may be, but it is not. So uh, I watched the first seven episodes of the last season of Ozark on Netflix mm. because I am a fan. And perhaps we'll find out if, if you and I are similar or different on this. I am a fan of the genre of like normal person. A thing kind of happens and... Now they're doing a terrible thing repeatedly. And people, I mean, Ozark's been around for a while. It's the fourth season. But it's like that guy is like, yeah, whatever. He's some kind of business money manager guy. And then he winds up laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel. And it is not, I mean, that happens in the first episode. And that is, it's not, it's one of those things. It's like, I'd like to think, could I end up, I guess I wouldn't launder money, but could I wind up podcasting for a Mexican drug cartel? If they were like, you know, we like Buckeye talk, whatever you, and all of a sudden, like you do one thing and you have a correspondence and all of a sudden it's like, if you don't podcast for these people, they might kill you. Uh, and, and I like Ozark that it's, it's a little less um, of a plan than Breaking Bad. Cause like Breaking Bad, Walter White is like, I'm going to do this. Cause I got to get, I'm going to become a drug dealer. Cause I got to get the money for my family. Jason Bateman kind of stumbles into it more and then once he's in it he's like well okay i guess we're gonna do this now so you know there's a movie uh there's a movie with uh billy bob thornton and bill paxton i think a simple plan yeah where they find money and it's like eh, and then, then, then things go haywire and it's like if i found that money would i do anything all that different from what they did that wound up ruining their lives so i like all those kind of things because I think it remains possible that in my future is being a podcaster for a Mexican drug cartel or a drug cartel from any country, um, a Norwegian drug cartel, that one wrong step and you know, go for a little cash. Hey, get a little easy cash. And then all of a sudden, here we are. And, uh, and I like Jason Bateman. So, um, and, and the daughter on there looks like Trevor Lawrence. So uh, I enjoy that show and I'm, it's winding. Then now the last 
the end of season four will come up with the final seven episodes or whatever coming ahead. Oh, it's but I like it. Like that? Okay. Yeah. But I like it because I like to picture myself in it. I'd be terrible at it. I would be like half a season. I'd be the guy. I don't want to ruin anything. It's actually, this is a coincidence. I'm only going to bring it up because the, the show is four years old or whatever. But you know, on Ed, Ed's friend at the bowling alley, it was like Ed was like the skinny guy with the black hair. That was it, Mike, his friend Mike. Yeah, his yeah, his Mike? Friend, yeah, yeah. He's in. Oh, that's right. He's in the first season of Ozark. He's in the first the first episode yeah. episode of Ozark yes. before the Mexican drug cartel puts him in an oil drum. Yeah, <laughs> and so you, and it's you like would have been Mike. I would have been Mike. It's like Mike. What happened? What happened to small town bowling alley guy? You became a money manager. And now you're in an oil drum. And wow. Jason Bateman is like, Mike, what happened to you? That's crazy so, how that came full circle. Those are the only two shows I've ever seen that actor be in. Bowling alley show and yeah. putting an oil drum in a, by the Mexican drug cartel show. Um, so we watched the first episode of Ozark. We have like a few shows that we're bouncing around on. And we've watched the previous seasons of Ozark. We watched the first episode of this latest season. And then it's like a couple of times since then, we've sat down at night to be like, Oh, what do you want to watch tonight? We often watch shows like that while we're having dinner. And um, <laughs> somebody's like, uh, one of us would be like, well, you want to watch Ozark and be like, ah, I don't know, man. It's just, it's so bleak. Let, let's just watch Dexter. Cause we're like rewatching Dexter. So a show about a guy who like kills people and then chops them up and dumps them in the ocean is less bleak than what's going on on Ozark week to week, I think is my selling point for Ozark. I, it's a, it is a really compelling, good show. I agree with you that those shows that are about, and they become obviously more prevalent in recent years. Like we always have like one or two of them going on somewhere at a time. Like normal person gets caught up in the bad stuff. Cause I used to watch, um, you remember the show Alias with Jennifer Garner? What am I, part like, of Alias? My God, Alias. I didn't miss this show, uh, episode of Alias. And but Alias really, especially in the later years, kind of got off the deep end. Also, like De- Dexter is actually a good example of like, well, this is like a plausible thing, but they take it to like such a degree where like I feel like you lose the reality of it. But I, I feel like like Ozark. I assume this is happening. I assume there's there is there is a fa- there are families in like Missouri and Arkansas and everywhere. Idaho where they're like oh like they ripped that off of us like this is exactly the kind of existence we're in maybe not like quite like that you know suburban Chicago couple gets relocated maybe it's a little grimier than that but like these sorts of business transactions and consequences are playing out in the seedy underbelly of America like every day and that's what I think is makes it compelling is like it brings it into the forefront I really want to just like six weeks from now, just come on and start the podcast and have it be like, welcome back. We're here to talk about the wonderful things done for this country by the the Smith drug cartel and just act like it has happened. And only the people who listen to this part of this episode would have any understanding. And it's just, it's, it's happened. Doug has done the thing where he has accidentally stumbled into a world of podcasting for a drug cartel. Now, I have not been shotgun marriaged into em- employment by a drug cartel yet, but it's my understanding that those folks tend to want to stay off the grid. So I'm not sure that they would like go podcast. I know what you're saying. Like it'd be like getting some PR for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, there's definitely some PR involved in Ozark. That, but that's the next evolution. You got to come mm-hmm. out of hiding, out of the shadows and into the light. And we're right. just going to spread our, our message 
of the friendly neighborhood drug cartel through a random variety of sports podcasts. What you watching? Uh, we are watching Righteous Gemstones, which is in its third and, and maybe final season. I'm not sure. Sh- no, second season. Second season. Um, I get confused because now this is like the third thing that Danny McBride and his group of guys have done for HBO. They were the Eastbound and Down guys, and then they were the Vice Principal guys, and now he's back with this third show. Um, John Goodman and a bunch of other people that people would probably recognize. And we are about halfway through this season, and it, it's kind of gone off in a different direction from the first season. But uh, my wife and I are, are big fans of it. If you haven't seen the first season, I think maybe that's even better. I think it was even a little funnier than this season has been. But a just a show that, again, it's about sort of like a, uh, a, a family that runs a megachurch. They're all pretty terrible people and about sort of the, uh, the selfishness that drives all of those personalities, which, again, is kind of a, a modern television thing, whether you're talking about from Seinfeld, it's always sunny to all those sorts of things. Uh, just the most selfish people in the world and how they interact and, and and the expectations and entitlement that they have. But then like the consequences off of that, as they sort of get deeper and deeper into their own mess. Um, it, it's a pretty funny show. It's, it's obviously a little bit more on the, the vulgar humor side. So you got to kind of be into that, but they play it off for effect really well. So I am a small dose Danny McBride guy. Mm-hmm. I am not a big dose Danny McBride guy. And I also get righteous gemstones confused with uncut gems very correct is yes the adam sandler thing and the i am Safety also this movie yeah i am also not an adam sandler guy hmm. so i have stayed away from both of those i have watched a tiny little bit of eastbound and down but is that a am i missing out or is that a potentially reasonable danny mcbride opinion because i've definitely seen stuff where he's like the fourth guy in a movie or something, mm-hmm. but not Tropic the main Thunder character. or yeah. uh, Pineapple Express or yeah. I, I don't, and I don't usually come away from those thinking like, I want more of him. Could I have all him? So, so in, in both um, Eastbound and Down, he's obviously the main character. And in Vice Principals, he and Walton Goggins, like it's, they're sort of sharing the, the main roles there. So it's, they are both very predominant here. He is one of three children of this again, like mega church family that John Goodman is the patriarch of it's a little bit more ensemble. So he obviously still has big moments, but it's not as much his story. He, 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 I'd say all of the kids get like equal play in that. And he's also not in any way. I, I would argue none of the, the kids are like a sympathetic character in any way. It's all a, which I guess is also sort of true of Eastbound and Down. Like he's still the main character and like the protagonist, but it's also lampooning him. And it's kind of the same thing here. It's, it's a similar personality to uh, Kenny Powers in some ways. Yeah. But so is Vice Principals, his, his character in Vice Principals a little bit. Okay. I'll have to, I'll have to keep that in mind. As long as Adam Sandler's not in it. We can talk about Adam, Adam Sandler in our future episode. I also so, have about I also gonna definitely have times where it's like what I'm not watching because okay. I ha- I hate this person. There's someone <laughs> that I hate with the 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 heat of a thousand suns, someone in entertainment that I'm sure is just well, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think it's probably mostly just because I'm old and this person is younger than me. But I will be curious when I talk about why I hate this person so much to see what the feedback is from the listeners because I don't know. I think there's an age thing there. 
But most of this could be old guys. This I, whole thing, we could just call this part old guys complaining. Old guys complaining. Well, we're both pointing out things that we both like, though, So, which is its own form of complaining, usually when you're an old white guy. Um, True. <laughs> um, I, I, what's funny about people like uh, Sandler or uh, there's a bunch of like people feel this way about Jim Carrey. People feel this way about Will Ferrell. People feel this way about a lot of folks, I suppose, that you can both tell me that you think they're hilarious and that they're you think that they're unwatchable and you're both right. Cause when it's comedy, it's, there's no, there's no like objective way to measure comedy. Either you find something funny or you don't, I feel like drama is a little bit different. So I, it's, it's hard for me to have arguments about whether like I could be like, Oh, I thought that was like the funniest movie I've ever seen. And people could be like, I hated every second of that. And I'd be like, okay. Yeah. If it doesn't yeah. hit your funny bone, like what are you going to do? Yeah, no, I probably would still criticize people if they disagree sure you with my sense. I'm sure you will. But. <laughs> so I was looking forward to watch eating because I feel like you're probably expecting me to be like, well, here's this like gourmet meal that I just made um, last night that took four hours and we used every kitchen appliance that we have. And it was just this amazing feast. I can't wait to go eat seconds and thirds of it for the next couple of days. Or that some like fancy restaurant that's, that I just discovered in Columbus and nobody knows about it and I want to tell people about it. But I'm going to go the entire opposite direction. Mm. I've always thought that if we were to do a bracket of breakfast cereals, that I would have a hard time with that because I only eat one breakfast cereal. There's literally one breakfast cereal that we buy. We go, uh, my wife and I both, we're like all in on this breakfast cereal. And whenever we go to the grocery store, we are always buying like, two or three boxes of this cereal because we go through it because it's the only breakfast cereal we eat. We don't have cereal every morning, but if we have cereal, this is the breakfast cereal we're eating. And I discovered uh, the Quaker oat squares several years ago and somewhere along the line. And I, 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 depending on where I lived, but those are always pretty easy to find. And I kind of had rediscovered them a couple of years ago. And then I learned that right next to the Quaker oat squares, is the Kroger version of the Quaker oat squares that are always on sale for like $1.79 or even less. And they're better than the Quaker oat squares. Sorry to the Quaker company. I hope they are not a sponsor of ours. The Kroger generic Quaker oat squares, I think is the best cereal. And I would like argue it to my dying breath. You cut up some strawberries in that. It's perfect. It's a little bit sweet. It's got a great crunch to it. It's just, it hits every note that I want from a breakfast cereal without getting into like the thing where you're basically eating chocolate sludge for breakfast or like some kind of crazy, like technicolor sugar sludge for breakfast, which I find repugnant at this age. Uh, I, I feel like this is, it's got enough nutrition, just a little hint of, of the brown sugar, whatever, for some sweetness, great crunch to it. Um, you can mix it with fruit of all kinds. Just a perfect breakfast cereal. Quaker, the, the Kroger generic Quaker oat squares. But this is not verging into the rocks and twigs category of breakfast cereals. No, no, no. This isn't grape nuts. This is a this yeah. is a legitimate, yeah. This isn't no, I don't go for that either because again, I don't want to just eat a bowl of gravel for breakfast. I want like something that that ta- it, it it's it's definitely like you know made of wheat or whatever. <laughs> You grew up in a bean field. I'm not sure that wheat or whatever is, is an appropriate uh, view of wheat. 
No, but I grew up eating the Technicolor sludge too, and the chocolate yeah. sludge. And like, believe me, I loved my crunch berries back in the day, but I feel like this is a more, it's, it's both a more adult selection, but also uh, you don't feel like you're eating the, like the grape nuts experience, which I don't understand a, like what, what you have a, maybe a mental problem if you're eating that. So I do think I, I am definitely in this, the dad stage of, I only eat cereal at night. Like I eat cereal mm. for a snack. I don't eat cereal for breakfast because for breakfast I need a little protein or I eat oatmeal with some fruit on it, or I eat an English muffin with some peanut butter on it. So like I like cereal for breakfast would not be enough for me that it's just, uh, and I don't like putting fruit in my cereal. So I would be willing to try the Kroger brand Quaker knockoff oak squares, but would they work? Would they work as a 10 PM snack? I, I do think they would work brilliantly for that. Even if you weren't like cutting up strawberries to put into I like, it. I eat do. Frosted Flakes at night because my kids sometimes eat Frosted Flakes for breakfast. So there's a box of Frosted Flakes. In here's going to be here's going to be my argument. You're going to get less sugar. They're not, it's not sugar forward the way Frosted Flakes is. They are not frosted. Uh, but the way Frosted Flakes, I feel like very quickly gets very limp and soggy. And now you're eating. It, it gets a little mushy. It doesn't isn't going to happen as fast with the Quaker oat squares. They're a little bit they're bigger. There's a little bit more substance to them, so they're not like okay. they're not going to crack crack your teeth. Obviously, they're soft enough for that, but they're still going to be more of a crunch later into the milk bowl experience. Okay, so we should also keep track of if people eat the things that we are suggesting. So I am going to go with uh, this. Is also this is I I eat this sometimes from takeout but I also get it in a microwave meal and I have really come around on Parmesan cauliflower rice. That rice is a big carb and I don't love rice, but I like rice dishes, but uh, I do have to, I should be watching my carbs uh, at times at least. And the, the cauliflower rice is made from cauliflower. So the carb is so much less than even than even brown rice but the parmesan is the key it's the flavor to it and i i have these microwave meals different brands have it but they put whatever your mexican chicken and vegetables or um italian kind of you know flavorings and it's on cauliflower rice and man it might be if it was on normal rice or like on noodles or something it'd be like 45 carbs and man on cauliflower rice it's like 12 the carbs are non-existent because it's cauliflower. And then there's a good uh, make your own salad place by our house that you can get like bowls there with cauliflower rice underneath it. Sometimes if I don't want the salad because I want something a little hot, you get the chicken and vegetables and stuff on the cauliflower rice. If you are someone who'd be like, what? It's the Parmesan. It just it makes it a little cheesy. It adds a little flavor to it. It's a nice host for your meat and your vegetables on your sauce. And the carbs are so low. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, this is going to be low. Like, Doug, seriously, like people have been eating Parmesan cauliflower rice since 2003. And I discovered it in the freezer aisle like a month ago. And I'm acting like I'm a chef. I always am on podcasts. I, I think there's a lot of podcasts, Nathan. I don't know if you know that. Mm. I'm always curious the line between like regular people who are not experts talking about something Versus, you know, people who were kind of experts about a thing talking about something. And there are certainly podcasts of both, but sometimes, uh, you know, I don't want to sound, I don't want to be too much of a simpleton in the regular guy part of the, uh, 
they take cauliflower and they shave it up real tiny part. So uh, I'm new to it and I really, really like it. And like, I don't, I, I think it tastes better than rice. Like I don't ever need to re- eat rice again. So all in baby, you cauliflower, Parmesan cauliflower rice guy. So I'm, I'm familiar with cauliflower as a substitute. We will sometimes make, um, my wife in our air fryer has a good recipe for what are essentially like cauliflower wings. It'd be like having mm. chicken wings that are like boneless wings, except it's just cauliflower and you get a sauce together. And it, those are, I think, really good. I've enjoyed those. Um, although we're usually having like, you know, fries with them or whatever. So I think it kind of defeats the goal. But if, if you were having... I don't know. It, it, it defeats the purpose a little bit, but um, I, I've the times I've had it, like I've had cauliflower pizza, like cauliflower crust yeah. pizza. It's all right. I feel like the Parmesan would be crucial because you got to have something that gives it a little bit more flavor. Yeah. I think the, the step from rice to Parmesan cauliflower rice is a smaller step than mm. from regular pizza crust to cauliflower pizza crust. I agree with that. My wife does the cauliflower pizza crust a lot. And I have had trouble with that. But I even like the texture of the yeah. cauliflower rice, and the, but the Parmesan part of it, like the flavoring of it is good. So I was going to ask, so does it keep, does it keep consistency like, like the way rice does? Like it has individual. It's lighter. It, it, it is into like individual pieces. It's almost like snow a little bit, like a light, fluffy snow, Parmesan <laughs> snow. Maybe just do that. I guess if you could have Parmesan cauliflower rice, you could just have Parmesan snow under like might melt chipotle chipotle vegetables and some chorizo and chicken or whatever so maybe that would be the next thing people try that would be because that's the thing everybody always says like the perfect murder weapon is like a a knife made of ice because it melts it's like that's the perfect food eat snow and then it melts and then it's just water but while you're eating it have people tried this did we just invent the next thing the snow diet if you mostly ate snow could you subsist on that? Would you, would it fill you up if you're like, what did you eat today? I, it's like, I ate like a pound of snow and then in your body, it's just water, but it feels like you ate lunch and you could put sauce. Like you could have Buffalo, Buffalo snow, marinara snow. snow. No, I think. Buffalo we're all, snow. Yeah. Buffalo. Do you want me to publish this episode or do you not want this million dollar trillion dollar uh, idea getting yeah. out into the. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to the bosses. We have meetings coming up. We have like reviews and stuff anyway. It's like hey, anything else. It's like, oh, I just wanted to wonder if uh, our communications company would be interested in marketing flavored snow. Cause I like, got not snow cones, not just like the sugar, like as the base of your meal instead of rice, it's snow. Okay. Right. Like, this is the great podcast swindle is like you go out and found that company now. And then come back around, sponsor the podcast on the oh, back yeah. end. You're 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 setting yourself up for life with this can't possibly miss uh, idea to put hot food on top of snow, and then um, and then but then also sustaining your previous employer into the future by sponsoring the company by sponsoring the I'm, podcast. I'm going to call HelloFresh as soon as we're done here and ask if they want to include a snow meal option. It's family friendly, friendly, healthy. Vegan, snow-based. <laughs> Get 16 free HelloFresh snow-based meals now. Try Buckeye Talk 16 for 16 HelloFresh snow-based meals. Now, it's probably going to get sued by HelloFresh. That was a parody. I didn't mean that. <laughs> yet, yet, 
Why would you like now? There's people who may not have heard of HelloFresh that are now getting introduced to HelloFresh. Although, if you've ever listened to another podcast before, I think you've probably heard of HelloFresh because they advertise on like every podcast. To be clear, at the moment, HelloFresh does not have snow based meals. At the All moment, right. now, at the moment we're saying this, by the time it gets to your ears, we'll right. see how Doug, we'll see how fast Doug can work those phones. That is going to wrap it up for this modified Monday Madness. We're going to do something like this every Monday, at least until uh, unless people hate ears. it, unless yeah. the feedback is that they <laughs> hated it, then we'll try something else. Let's give it a try. Let's give us a couple of weeks to work into this. But there'll always be football up front. Always. Big football stories, Ohio State football stories. That's what we're going to lead with every week. And then we'll just have some fun here at the back end. That should be <laughs> – that's the name of guy talk slogan. <laughs> having some fun Lee at the Reese. back end. For Doug Lee Reese, for Nathan Baird. That – I'm Nathan Baird. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>